Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Well, joining us in the classroom today is author of Outside Shades and defensive line guru, Zach Leonard. Coach Leonard, thanks for coming to the classroom today. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I don't know about guru, but I, I try to I try to get it done. <laughs> well, when when Coach Tory told me that you wrote a book on D line play and how you've simplified D line play, uh, and what you teach your guys and how you do things inside of your your uh, position group, uh, I was intrigued, and it, it was uh, a no brainer for us to get you on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Well, Coach, as we get started, can uh, let's go in, go back in time. Let's travel back in time, and maybe discuss what made it, what made you want to become a football coach. Uh, that's a great question. I it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm sure not a lot of people have done this, but my mom brings it up all the time. She says in second grade they asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, and you said you didn't know, but you knew you were going to be called coach. And I guess that means I didn't know what sport or whatever, but I wanted to coach kids. I wanted to be around kids. But realistically, I think I've just been around so many great people who've impacted my life from sports. I, I really love sports, but I really think it's kind of like a lot of things. I think sports are a great tool. You know what I mean? They're a terrible master, but a great tool. And if you use sports the right way, it's a difference maker for a lot of people's lives. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'm kind of like you. I knew in eighth grade that I wanted to be a coach, and my dad was in the military, so nowhere in my background says that I, there's no coaching lineage in there at all. Uh, and my grandfather was uh, head of the Mississippi River Commission for the Mississippi River, so he was a top dog. My dad was a sergeant major in the military, and here I come. They're like, hey, you went to career day. What do you want to be? And I was like, a coach. <laughs> and they're like, why do you want to do that? And kind of like you, I had coaches that impacted my life that I wanted to uh, do the same thing they did where I impact lives daily. And I knew I wasn't going to get rich. I didn't care about getting rich. I knew that I wanted to have fun at my job. I knew that uh, I didn't want to sit behind a desk 24-7 as well. Uh, and that's, you know, I love what I do. I've been 15 years into it, and I love it. Absolutely. I, I think uh, a lot of people think, you know, when they think of PE teachers and coaches, they kind of shortchange it. I 100% think I have the best job in the world. I, I want to do anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Weaver and I were just kind of talking about that before you came on, how it's really hard right now. We're the teacher, you know, for our kids. We're also staying at home. I've also got other messages I'm doing with other colleagues and other things. I'm working harder now from home than I was at school. And I think that's a good sign that we're in the right profession. Absolutely. It's tough. The, the only hard, the hardest part of it is though being a teacher is not much fun when you don't have the kids around it's just it's not the right kind of thing yeah this thing is kind of dampening that mood so today I went and brought some little mini hurdles to my triple jumper uh, I'm I'm hoping and praying for a track season to happen and, and he's a senior and he went 44 feet last year so we're trying to go like 45 46 and uh, I called him I was like hey I'm right outside he goes I gotta stay six feet away, but it's gonna be good to see you, Coach. And uh, just hearing that, you know, I was like, "Man, I'm gonna fist bump you." 
and I guess then go put some Purell on your hand, but uh, you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head with that, that it's a, uh, it's tough not seeing those kids daily. Uh, you know, we have Zoom and all that stuff, but uh, that face-to-face -face interaction and, and, and human component, it's uh, its like Goat Story says he calls them screenagers instead of teenagers. Well, they're definitely screenagers now. I'm going back to the days of the screenager. You know, my screen time is way up. <laughs> and uh, I think what people don't realize is that social distancing doesn't mean social isolation. And that's what I feel like we're in right now. I feel like our society's in social isolation. Yeah. You know what it really showed me is it, it kind of pointed out to me how many touches I have in a day. You know what I mean? Because now we're so aware of it. Mm. I'm like, man, I was a, I'm a touchy-feely person and never noticed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to – you bring up – that's a great point. So I'm a big hugger. Like I like hugging my guys and, and high-fiving them, fist bumping, and, and that human touch you talk about. Like the first thing I want to do when I saw Russ, who was one of my receivers, when I brought him the mini hurdles, I want to give him a big hug. And I was like, man, I'm sorry I can't hug you right now. But he goes, I understand, Coach. I understand. So it's just one of those deals, man. Like that's that's a great point is the power of that human touch. Yeah, I mean, you read all the time about how important having those positive touches are in your life. I mean, I was reading – I can't remember what I was reading it in, but they said something about uh, – um, sorry, I wasn't planning on talking about this, so – but it was talking about how many positive touches championship teams have throughout a game, and, and it was incredible. And the more touches those teams had, the better the teams were. But I think that kind of goes into what you guys talk about all the time, you know, the power of culture, mm -hmm. you know, bringing each other together and doing the right things and how it really impacts your performance too. Yeah, and you talk about, like, all the things the championship teams talk about. Like the interview at the end of – uh, every championship game, where they say we're a family, right? Oh, this is the biggest bond that I've had with any group of team. Well, everybody has talent, right? I mean, LSU had talent, Clemson had talent. What was the difference? The culture piece. Not saying that LSU's was better than Clemson's because you you can't get any better, I think, than Dabo and what he does in his staff. But that human touch component too. Like, how much are you aware with that? So I mean, you look at hockey. They're all hockey. They all are good. The all uh, NFL teams, they're all good. Like, they're major league baseball players. They're all getting paid to do stuff that we love to do, but they're getting paid for it. Um, just that human touch and, and that, that bond that those teams have. Yeah, it's a difference maker for sure. You know, and I think about, like, they have guys in the NBA who study that kind of thing. How many high fives are you given? How many fist bumps? You know, and it's one of those statistics that doesn't really matter until you either switch teams or somehow, like, the coronavirus hits and it all goes away. Mm. And so, Coach Leonard, I think it's a great point, and it goes back to that relationship piece of physical touch is just one of our basic human needs. It is. Uh, I want to talk about something that you write in your book in the introduction. You categorize your players into one of four categories. Can you talk a little bit about that as we talk about relationships and physical touch and, you know, how you motivate your players? Well, that's interesting. I write about that, but we don't typically use it. It's just something I heard in a clinic one time that just kind of struck with me, and, and it showed the importance of the coach to me. So what he did is he put them in different categories. Uh, I think it was – he kind of took me off guard here. I think it was stud, starter, um, second string, 
and you know they're not very good guys. <laughs> um, so I think the coach's job in that, for one, is you know we can think of that outside of our players, but as soon as you put a label on a kid, you're kind of limiting them. I mean, we've all had kids that were kind of on that fourth level that you know surprise you, you know, through hard work, through you know whatever the case may be. For some kids, it's a, it's a nice growth spurt, too, even. But, you know, they become something else. So I don't want to put labels and limits on it. But what I was trying to illustrate with that point is, you know, the coach's job is to coach all of them and make them a little bit better as we go. You know what I mean? So Yeah. And, and I think you have to put a classification on them as, like, a baseline, right, so that you have a starting point. So you can tell if a kid's making progress or not uh, because you never stay the same. And I think that those four categories stuck out to me because I read a book by Jeff Perlman called Gunslinger, and it talked about when Ron White uh, got to the – Ron Wolf got to the Green Bay Packers. That's the first thing that he did was he walked around practice and he started categorizing guys into one of five areas. It was either Hall of Famer, then there was the All-Pro, then there was the Starter, then there was the Second String, and then lastly it was Can't Do It. And uh, so when I read your book, when I read that introduction, that really took me back to that. And so I've started to use that when I walk around our practices as a lens to look through, like, how would I categorize these guys? Are they starters? Are they contributors on Friday night? Maybe special teams or a sub role? Are they JV players? Or are they just guys that maybe the team is better for them? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think that's very important. People don't give the team enough credit when, you know, they talk about like, What's this guy playing football for? What's this guy out here for? Sometimes they need us a lot more than maybe they'll ever affect a game, and that's okay. You know, that's why we got into this profession. The other thing about those categories is I think it's a tool to show them how to get to where they want to be. You know what I mean? Because you can have those different labels, and you can say, hey, well, where do you feel you fit in maybe? And this is actually nothing I've done before, but it's just a thought. You know, where do you feel you fit in? And what habits can you build that will get you where you want to go? You know, because I'm a big believer in, I think everybody should have big, huge dreams. You know, that's one of my uh, lessons we do in the health classroom. I want big goals. I don't care about the word realistic. Like, that's not a real thing. Get that out of here. I don't care. I, but I do want your habits to match where you want to go, right? So if you don't have those two things correlating, then it is just kind of a fantasy. But if you get them to correlate, then it's, it's kind of just going to happen. You know, if you keep doing that work and your habits meet where you're trying to go, you've got the best shot to get there. Yeah, and I go back and I think about kids that want to be team captains. So let, let's talk about that. Like, they all want to lead and they have, say, they have that dream of being a team captain by their senior year, be voted on by their peers. It's uh, kind of what we do. But yet they don't want to put in the work. They just want to have the title and not do anything with it so not even not even just from a a talent standpoint look at it through the lens of hey i want to be a leader on this team but what am i doing to navigate my way what how am i growing to become a leader so i can have other people trust me so i can have other people uh you know believe in what i'm selling them Uh, and if you're not doing that work just like if you're trying to become a starter like the starting quarterback or the starting defensive lineman uh, you know, to play three technique for you. Uh, what work are you putting in to be the same one, so uh, that same kind of way? So it, it works both ways. Absolutely. I love that. One of the things going into my goal lesson in the classroom is I, I it's kind of silly, but I just, 
you know, do a hand-raised survey. I said, hey, who wants to have a really nice house one day? And everybody raises their hand, right? Who wants to make a bunch of money? And I throw in, yeah, absolutely. And I throw in a few, you know, where it's something they don't want, obviously. So who wants to, you know, because these are some of the topics we talk about in health, you know, who wants to be in an abusive relationship? Oh, no hands go up? Okay. Well, you know, everybody, and I, I kind of verbalized this to them, everybody in life wants not the same things, but similar things in, in terms of everything we just talked about. The difference is some people do the right things to get there. Now, some people have harder roads to kind of get there and stuff like that, but it, it, I really want to empower them to know that their decisions and their habits mm -hmm. can lead them on the right path to what they want in life. Yeah, goes back, I think Brian Kite did this uh, with his daily discipline, I think two, three days ago maybe, about the choices we make. Like, it's our choice for perspective, for patience, uh, whether we do the work or not, are we resilient, all our choices, and the hardest thing for people to do is just start making those choices. They're stuck in this gray area. Like, you know, I've been home spring break, we didn't go anywhere. Well, this is another week that we've been at home. Well, now we're entering another week <laughs> that we're at home. So I can choose to be pissed off, you know, or make the best of it. So my daughter learned how to ride her bike in two hours. That's a choice that I made like, hey, I'm gonna just kind of chill out. We didn't record a podcast one night. I was like, you know what, we're going to go learn to ride your bike. And she wanted to do that and learn in two hours. You know, right now we got hop, hopscotch subtraction going on where she's not using her fingers anymore. That was a choice. You know, you tell her the number, she goes and she jumps on the square within five seconds so she can't use her fingers. So those are all choices. And I think that not just for coaches, but for parents in a time like this. Choose to spend time with your kids. Choose to spend time with maybe a way that you wanted to grow personally. Make that choice and then do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, outside shades again here, Coach, and I know this is kind of your M.O. And uh, so it's one of the deals. When you sent me the signed copy of your book, first of all, I mean, I really appreciate it. I've given it out to our coaching staff to read, too. And it's really simple. So if you haven't picked up a copy of Outside Shades, please go on Amazon and, and do that order. It's well worth your money. And I had this huge epiphany while I'm reading it, right? Because I coached defense for a year. I'm an offensive guy, but there was a year where I called the defense, and were we the best? I don't know. I made more mistakes probably than I helped our team out. And I was just kind of always calling the plays from an offensive mind uh, as far as where we were putting guys defensively. But when I read your book, you talk about – we talk in the classroom about the standard is the standard. And you have really standardized D-line play. So it doesn't matter if, you, if you're the one tech, if you're the three tech, if you're the five tech, the seven, the wide nine. You have standardized it so that every defensive lineman has the same responsibilities. Talk about that a little bit, will you? Well, that's kind of the deal with it being called outside shades. And that's the best thing about playing outside shades all the way across the board is now all of a sudden I can teach all four defensive linemen the same way. I've been really lucky the past few years. I've had a coach, Urban Buchanan, he coaches defensive line with me, and I think that's very, very important. But if you don't have that, and some schools don't have that, you know, it's nice to be able to coach every single position across the board the same. Now, all of a sudden, if my three technique goes down, in my opinion, three technique's the most important defensive line position on the field in what I play especially. Um, if he goes down, 
your next best three techniques are probably not coming off the bench. Like, you're moving somebody down. So, like, I have a five technique. You know, when I was writing this, my five technique was probably my next most physical guy. I bumped him down to three technique and uh, bumped in another defensive end. Wow. Yeah, I can't do that with our receivers, I can't say. Like, the slots are the slots, and they know their thing, and the outside guys are the outside things, but I can't take an outside guy and put him in the slot without, you know, doing some extra work maybe in film or doing some extra work uh, in pre-practice or whatever. So the fact that you have made it across the board, so I thought about when you were talking about our three technique, our three technique uh, was conference player of the year as a sophomore and a senior. And now he's a sophomore JUCO player that has put on about 40 pounds. Uh, he'll be, I think, 275 and runs like a 4.8. I mean, he's a bad piece of meat playing at uh, East Central Community College. I mean, you'll, you'll hear of his name, John Cartwright, and he's like 6'4". I mean, he is he's a giant and uh, also a team captain for us when he played. But, you know, that dude was unbelievable. But... They moved him from a three. We moved him from a three. We played defensive end. He went inside, and I was like, so that's what you're, you know, and I, I told you a little bit. We play under a lot, and we have an oaky front and all that stuff, and I'm look, I'm D-line deficient, so I hear a little bit of what goes on. I'm more worried about the, the secondary and what goes on with that, but um, I'm interested to hear about how you get, you know, I know what our O-line coach does and how you got to win the trenches and all that stuff, but some, some things that you maybe – Tell your guys, coach your guys, empower your guys on how to win the trenches. Like, what does that look like? Maybe in the film room and outside the film room, practice field, game field, stuff like that. Uh, well, my motto, and, and he could see it on the copy of the book I gave him, uh, it says, start small and work towards mastery. Okay, and, and you would not believe how small we start. Um, a lot of times we won't even start doing things out of a stand. So, so if I here, – here's the thing about coaching high school football. I get the guys I got, right? I mean, they show up. If I got small defensive linemen, I got small defensive linemen. If uh, I got big guys, I got big guys. You know, you got what you got. So what I want to do is I want to make sure they know how to be the most physical they can be. Um, Oh, yeah, they're all walk-on. Something I just talked about in the talk uh, that you'll be able to find on my Twitter soon is I, I got them. They're all volunteers, you know. <laughs> That's a big thing for me. But they're all walk-ons. We got what we got. But by giving them the chance, technique is, is the key to me. You know, I was uh, an athletic but average defensive end in high school. Uh, I got to college, and it was literally the first time people started teaching me, you know, reads and hand placement and stuff like that and I soaked it in and I excelled because of that and that's what I want to do for these guys that's kind of what I can offer to these my high school players and let them be as best as they can and improve as they go so you know one thing we do is we work on playing half a minute one thing I like to talk about is hey your offensive tackle he might be 300 pounds right but if I get the right hand placement and I can play half a man, I can handle 150, right? I can dominate 150. That other half of him doesn't matter, right? So I, I really like to emphasize that, and we start and we work on that all the time. Um, you know, and pad level and stuff like that comes into it, but the main thing I'm trying to get you to realize is 
how slow we start and throughout the year we just build, 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 build and make it more game-like and more challenging as you go. Mm-hmm. At the start of the season, my individual periods are the easiest part of practice for my guys. You know, obviously you still got to do inside run. You still got to do these other things. But inside is going to be, I mean, individual is going to be very, very easy. And then by the end of the year, we're getting good on good. We're getting, you know, intense reps where they can see anything they've seen all year. Now, that's still only a handful of different combinations you can put together. But now, all of a sudden, individual is the hardest, most competitive, uh, most challenging thing they do all day. It takes away, like, the, the indicators of down and distance. It takes away the game plan of the team. I could show you a down block, make you squeeze it, but run speed option to you. And in, in my, this is what I call it. I, I like corny names. Apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that about myself. I call this the ultimate drill. <laughs> and, and all that is is I build from a very simple drill. At the beginning, my my first drill I teach is literally one step. We get into something I call the fifth position, where I'm already made contact with a player. I'm playing half half of him. I'm in the perfect position, and I take one step with my outside leg, get full extension, play him, you know, and, and dominate him. And that one drill is like, kind of like the seed to what becomes the ultimate drill. And in the ultimate drill, now all of a sudden I have one defensive lineman going against uh, maybe two offensive linemen, a pulling guard, a uh, running back, and a quarterback. And I get to make up whatever they're going to see. Obviously, you can tell communication is very, very important in that. They have to understand my hand, which can be a little bit frustrating at times. Because I'm like, you saw my signal. You know what I wanted you to do. But but you kind of see how small it starts. And I make it more and more challenging, more and more game-like. And sometimes if you've got to do you've got to make it unrealistically hard because the guys in practice that you have, they can't challenge it. So you've got to get really creative and find ways to make it harder. Um, I think it's very important to do that and to challenge them. I think that's a great message for coaches to hear because people ask me all the time, they're like, Coach Tory, what's changed in sports or what, what's your biggest hurdle? And I think we make things too complicated. So to teach everybody the same skill set, to teach everybody the same hand placement, the same foot, to start really small and build as the season goes, that's really our job, right? It's about simplification. And so that's what I love about your technique. Yeah, that's definitely what we try to do, and that that gets them using the same communication that I'm using. They can coach each other on the field. I can coach them when they come off the sideline and everybody's on the same page. It's very important to get your offensive line coach kind of using the same verbiage that you use as well. Uh, for example, this is, uh, you know, one thing that can be an issue is some offensive line coaches will call uh, reach block no matter which direction they go, but that makes it a little confusing on a defensive line. So if we're running, I'm going to act like I'm an offensive guy for a minute. If we're running outside zone to the right, um, everybody who's play side, they're reaching, Right. Yeah. you want to call it. And then the backside guys, I have to communicate that as a scoop block. It's got to be a scoop because it's different to my defense alignment, right? So if my offensive line coach is calling it a reach block, my kids get confused on, well, hey, I, I, I don't know if that was a reach or what. Well, was it going outside of you? Then it's a reach. Was it going inside of you? It also makes it cleaner because now 
everything's a down block. If they're going inside of you, that's a down block. You know what I mean? Because as a defensive lineman, you can't really you can't really dictate exactly what a block is from the first step, but you know what you're supposed to do, right? Even if it's a pull. I want my guys reacting to a pull away the same way they're going to react to a down block, power or a, a scoop block for zone or whatever. They have to react the same exact way. So you have to make sure you're thinking about that up front and using the right words and showing them the right things in practice. So here's my question to you, because this is, this is, I know I've seen this in our practice. The D line, the O-line, that's the scout team, not giving you the look that you need for your D lineman. How do you, uh, I guess, make that imperative that your scout team O-line is doing exactly what the team's going to be doing on Friday night so your D-line can get a real look. Because I know, and look, we're we're 6'8", and we, I mean, our scout team is about a C-, minus, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, because uh, they're like, well, I'm not going to play, but, they, you know, we got better at the end of the year, but it's still, I mean, those guys are getting pounded on where we're running, you know, counter, power, zone read, mid-zone, and then all their different looks and different aiming points, and they're all they're doing is looking at a card. So how do y'all combat that? that? That's a great question. That's tough every single year. So the first thing is I change. I try to change plays for our scout team without changing their technique, if that makes sense. Yes. Because, because here's the deal. If I teach you a new way to down block or a new way to zone combo, you're not going to be very good at it anyway just not. Not in one week. You're not going to be able to change what you do. So I leave them alone, right? I want you to run this play and use your techniques that you know to run this play. So is it going to look 100%? No. But it's going to be a more competitive look. And, you know, you kind of got to decide what your philosophy is. That's my philosophy. I want it to be as competitive as possible. Right. So even if it's not perfect, sometimes I simplify teams you know, for one, as a defensive coordinator, you've got to look at what a team's running, and you've got to decide a few things. Is this how they're going to run it against us? We're a different team than a lot of teams we play around here. Are they going to run it the same way? And can I get the same reads, but in a simplified, simplified version? That, that's what matters to me. Are my guys' reads working? Can we practice those reads? The rest of it's just kind of as people say, I can. You know what I mean? Right. They can do all these weird things. My eyes are in the right spot. I'm going to simplify it, make it better, make us be able to run a few more reps because we simplified it, and it's going to be more competitive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, going to your eye discipline rather than is it just right. So just like for linebackers, they have to read their triangles. Uh, you know, if they get down, down uh, by linemen, you know, if it's an outside deal. And now, look, I'm talking like I know D-line play or whatever, but down, down, you're under, and the linebacker's scraping. Uh, right off the butt cheek of the DN. So, I mean, I just you know what I mean? I think the yeah, eye discipline right. is good, too, so I like that. Did, Coach, did you give them the book? That's in there. That was good stuff. I just, I listen. <laughs> I don't have the book. I love the book to give to our new D-line coach. Um, but I, I know a little bit. I used to run our scout team before our head coach was like, you need to go work with our kickers during D uh, uh, defensive team. And I would start listening to that, and they're like, you need to coach linebackers. I'm like, Coach, I coach receivers. Like those two don't blend. Like 
the mentality is not the same. Uh, so I did a little bit of that, and we figured out in the spring, like, hey, you need to coach receivers and work on our passing game and coach the kickers. And I was like, I'm down, coach. So I know a little bit, but I'm D-line deficient on some things. Hey, you were right on, right on track right there, though. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> well, and uh, Coach Leonard, I think you have a cliche that kind of sums it up, whether it's a scout team or whether it's a, you know the first team with a quality state champion opponent on Friday night. Like, your cliche is if a player's hard to read, he's easy to block. But if he's hard to block, he's easy to read. And so a lot of times with those first-team guys that we see on Friday night, you know, they're hard to block. But, boy, I know where they're going. And it's almost the opposite with scout team, you know. They don't give a read sometimes. It's really hard to get a sophomore to get ready to to uh, to go at, a, you know, a varsity starter. But uh, that makes them easy to block, but then you don't really know what's going on. And that's that look piece that Coach Weaver was asking about. Oh, absolutely. It's so funny you bring that up because the offensive coaches get so mad at me at Christiansburg because they're always like, man, we're trying to get this kid to box. I'm like, Coach, I've been training him for three years not to do that. So it is tough. You know, they kind of – it kind of sinks in. It's automatic. They get a down block, boom, they're squeezing and spilling. They're going. That's right. And we can squeeze and spill. And they're like, but we're not playing that team this week. This team boxes. Like, I get it. I don't <laughs> – I'm doing a good job coaching. What do you want me to say? Exactly. I, <laughs> I'm with you. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your ideal position characteristics. So, the one tech is a little bit different than the three tech. You've already said your three tech needs to be a beast. Uh, the five, the seven, the nine. What what qualities do you want from players that play those positions? Could you outline it in your book? Well, that's one thing that's kind of changed a little bit in my mind just because – from the way we are actually wording our defense. I've kind of grown as a defensive coordinator a little bit, so I have different guys doing different things now. But nine technique, if I have a guy who's just playing nine technique, they're going to be my best athlete. They're going to be the best, the, the most athletic guy. You know, a lot of times they're just going against tight ends, so they don't have to be the strongest, most physical guy. Well, here, here's my philosophy. I want you to play a position where you're fast, Right? If you can be fast as a nine technique, great. Sometimes that's an outside linebacker becoming a nine technique. If you can be fast as a three technique, that's great. Maybe you used to play five technique, defensive end, but now you're fast at three technique. You know, so I try to make us smaller and faster. I mean, don't get me wrong. If we can be huge and fast, great. But I'm looking for fast first. Um, so that's kind of how I prioritize. Now, the reason the nine is more athletic than the five is they have to squeeze further. You know, I'm squeezing. Everything we do is kind of dictated on our squeeze technique because we, Southwest Virginia, you see a lot of power, a lot of down blocks and kickouts. So we have to be able to squeeze really, really well. So a tight end's a little bit more athletic. You also have to squeeze them farther down the line, so you have to be athletic. Um, five technique, you know, has to squeeze the tackle. Tackle's a little slower. He can afford to be a little bigger, thicker, more physical guy. Three technique has to be a better athlete. The, the reason a three technique is so important is because they have to be both. You know what I mean? They have to be able to squeeze and spill. They have to be able to beat those reach blocks. But they have to take on a double team. If you're getting moved from the three technique position, you're in trouble. So that's the main thing that makes a three technique so tough. Now, a one technique, don't get me wrong. If I have two guys who I feel could play three, I'm rolling. You know what I mean? I'm so excited. I got 
I got two studs on the field. But a one technique can typically, unless you're playing a big stretch outside zone team, um, you know, he, you can get away with having a little bit of a more physical, slower guy at the one technique, right? Still got to be good against double team stuff. So you can kind of sell out for the size and strength for a one technique, where you can't really do that from a three technique. He's got to be an athlete. Well, that's that's great. Yeah, and when you said you started building for speed, so 2015, 2016, we were, I mean, we were big, but we were slow. We were slow, and it's like we had guys out of position and, and stuff like that. We had a great scheme, played for the state championship, lost. Um, and then our head coach kind of reevaluated and said, look, let's bring everybody down. So the linebackers went to D-line play. We brought some of our secondary guys and the linebackers. And then those faster guys that kind of like were tweeners, couldn't get on the field, could get on the field. We coached them up even more and uh, made those secondary guys. And we got faster, so much faster um, on the field. And that's a great point that you bring up is, you know, speed kills. There's no substitute for, fat, for substitute in high school football for speed. You know, you look, at, you look at college and NFL and you see the jump. But high school kids, if I have a fast kid, uh, versus a, a not so fast kid, like a like we watched film last night. I was zooming with some coaches about our our uh, uh, our slot was on an outside backer. Well, we went and watched film, and that outside backer was slow, and we were fast. So you you know who's going to win that battle on stuff that we want to run. So I I love your your deal about fast players, um, especially in high school and then at D line. I, I think. And I look, I'm, the more you talk, I'm listening to and putting our D-line in, in the perspective of what we do. And we have fast guys. They're not big, burly, huge guys. Um, you know, they're 6'1", about 185, 190, and they go play. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm sure y'all know uh, Dan Casey. I think he coaches in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never spoken to him one time in my life, but I got to hear his presentation, and, you know, he, he's a beat the cats guy, and you know I'm looking into that stuff. We've done some things. I know you guys have talked to uh, Coach Walls about it, um, and, and I think it's awesome. But he does a great job of showing how the game has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, in his presentation, he he throws up on the board a picture of Zach Thomas and Brian Urlacher. There is no person in the world that thinks those two guys can't play football. But man, they look a lot different than the defensive player of the year from. Two years ago, the linebacker, I can't remember the name, but the guy's longer, leaner. He's a runner, you know, sideline to sideline. He can cover. You don't and, – and this is the hard thing for people to understand because parents played football a long time ago for the most part, you know, 90s, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I think speed is relative too. So not only is our team spreading the ball out now more – but you're, you're uh, demanding more from, like, your interior players. So your Mike linebacker can't just be big and physical and stop the run anymore. That's still important. But he also, if you're running Tampa 2, he also has got to be able to drop back and cover 30 yards in the middle zone. So I love what you said about keeping it simple, teaching all the same technique, and then classifying guys so that you can put them in a position to be successful where their skill set is best used. Um, I want to talk a little bit about culture right now as far as there's no secret, right, that the key to a good D lineman is to fight through pressure. So 
it doesn't matter what technique you're playing, how do you get guys to run through a brick wall? Because really that's what coaching to me is today is how do I motivate somebody to just run through a wall? Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about this. I think the difference between, you know, you, you said earlier people think about kids differently these days. I think it's a good thing that kids want to know why. As a coach, I want to know why we do everything. We, I work for a great guy, Coach Wilkins. Everything we do, mine and his philosophy both, if we don't have a good why for why what we do, then, then we need to think about what we're doing. You know, it might not be the right thing anymore. So if you want your kids to, to buy into your technique, you have to be able to show them why it's important. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you meant for it to go this way, but I'll take with what you were saying, fighting pressure. Um, I love to show, because kids want to backdoor things, right? Kids want to go the easiest route. They feel fast. It feels easy. But you have to show them that it's taking them away from the ball and making the play harder on the linebackers. Mm. So what I like to do is I take an offensive line, two offensive linemen and two defensive linemen. So we'll, we'll treat it like kind of like a B-gap ISO, okay? But we'll say one's a tackle. He's basing out on a, uh, on a defensive end. And one's a guard, and he's down blocking on a one second. Right? If we backdoor it or take the easy way and just go upfield, I show every single defensive lineman I have how big that makes the hole. It's huge. And I also teach everybody in the program how hard it is to make an open field tackle. If it's one-on-one in a big space, like, like Coach was saying, the fast guy's going to win. That's not always what I want. You know what I mean? I want us to win every time. I don't want the fast guy to win. So we want to constrict, right? So that's how we teach fighting pressure, right? And, and, and by teaching it and showing how important it is, the kids buy in, you know? The, the other part of it, and this is not the most fun part of it, is sometimes you can't play the guy with the most talent. you got to play the guy who's doing it right. Um, I think you have to be willing to do that because if you there's only, you know, there's only two things that can happen from it. If you start playing the guy who's doing it right, the great option is the other guy with all the talent in the world buys in and learns how to do it the right way. Or if they don't, the guy that you're playing with gets better and better and better throughout the year. He ends up being just as good anyway. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think you have to be willing to do those things. Yeah. The standard is the standard, right? Yeah. That's it. I want the best football player, not the best athlete. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I want the best athlete, and I want to make him into the best football player, but until he gets there, he's not playing. So true. That's so true. I, I, I think about our receivers. Like, I, we have good athletes, but I want the guy that's going to do what's best for the team. I want the best football player for our team that's going to do what he's coached to do, that's going to buy in and be a, a team player, so to speak, and, uh, and win – our way, not his way. It's a great point. Absolutely. I love the story you had the other day on here uh, about the wide receiver making a big-time play and coming to the sideline. <laughs> he wasn't acting the right way, you know? Mm-hmm. We're not using what we love and what they love to mold them to be great men. No. They shouldn't pass. You know what I mean? I mean, we're not doing the right thing. Yeah, and in a word, it comes down to trust, right? Like, you have to trust the scheme. You have to trust that I, as a coach, have your best interest in mind when I call that scheme. 
you have to trust your teammates to be selfless. So they're playing for you more than they're playing for themselves. And uh, I think when you, when you put all that together, coach, there's a whole lot there. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it comes down to transparency. You know what I mean? Being open with your players, letting them know why we're doing this, not just, I mean, I'm sorry. It's, it's, we're past the time period where you can say, because I said so, that's, that's not a good response. Or my biggest pet peeve, I don't know how we got there, but we got to my biggest pet peeve, people who say, oh, well, this is just how we've always done it. That doesn't mean you should keep doing it that way. It's the worst thing to me in the world. It just is. Yeah, we had coaches on our staff that would coach out of fear. You're not going to do that anymore. Like, nobody wants to play like that. Like, the way you did it 15, 20 years ago, in the way it's going to work right now, not with today's 21st century athlete. It's not going to happen. And, uh, and you're definitely not going to make a transformational leader out of that type of thing, no, right? No. Um, no. Well, uh, Coach Leonard, I really appreciate your time in the classroom today. There's one standard question that Coach Weaver and I always ask our guests. It's a John Gordon thing. But if I had to ask you about your caring trademark, what makes you different as a leader than anyone else in the world, what would you say that is? I love that you guys do this, by the way. I, I found this first from Buzz Williams when he was the coach at Tech. He, he kind of took the article and ran with it and did some things with it, and I love it so much. Um, the thing that I really – this is the best compliment I get from my athletes and from my students in class, and I'm lucky, and it, I'm intentional about it. And so I get this compliment probably once every two weeks or so. A kid will look at me and say – Coach Leonard, you just never have a bad day. And, and that means a lot to me because we, we all know that's full, right? I have bad days. You guys have bad days. But I don't want them to know about it, right? I became the teacher because I want to help them. So they don't need to know about the circumstances I'm going through. They, don't, they need to come to school, feel safe, feel happy, and, and have somebody they can have a great relationship to. So I think that's what I try to have my caring trademark be is I want to be consistent every day, no matter what's going on in my life. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, you know, I, I think about so many times, I tell my health class that as well, about you'll, you're never going to see me have a bad day. I'm never, I'm going to fake it. If I'm having a bad day, you'll never know it. I'm going to come in with a cup of coffee and a smile on my face and you'll never know any difference. Um, now when you leave the room and I, I kind of go back to it, I'm like, man, I, Got to do it again, but you hit it nail on the head. Love it, Coach, about uh, no bad days. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, P.J. Fleck talks about this. Uh, he says that we have hard days, not bad days. And if you think about kids, they don't want – who wants to be around someone who's having a bad day and just dumps all their crap that's happening in their life on you? Like, no one wants to be around that, right? right. And uh, I think that's a great point, Coach Leonard. So if your kids see it, because they'll fake, they'll spot a faker from a mile away. Mm-hmm. So if they are saying that to you, what else do you want for your legacy? You, you know, like at the end of your career to be like, you know, I don't think I've ever seen Coach Leonard have a bad day. That's an amazing caring trademark. Absolutely. And, and part of it for me is our kids, we don't know what they're going through. And they're around sometimes highly emotional people, you know, big highs, big lows. And I don't think that's the right way to live you know so you got to model what you want for them you know 
That's it. Coach, man, I appreciate your time today. I, I definitely got better today. Me too. I appreciate you having me on. I've had a lot of fun. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us in the classroom. That's been Zach Leonard. He's the author of Outside Shades. Go on Amazon and pick yourself up a copy. You won't regret it. Thank you so much, Coach Leonard. Thank you.